light. It illuminates, it reveals, it exposes everything. It lights the path and it shows the way. But without light, everything is hidden. And in the dark, our secrets are safe. Hurts, fears, wounds, sins, shortcomings, realities that we would rather avoid. Darkness provides a measure of safety and security. But it is a lie. Darkness may hide the truth, but it cannot change it. And the truth is that you were made to shine to reflect the divine light of a Savior who entered into the world, to shine on our communities and neighborhoods, on our friends and on our families. We exist to shine because light has come and the darkness cannot win. Well, good morning. We are continuing our vision series, Shine. And uh, before we get started today, I just wonder if you remember this project in school, or maybe your kids have already brought it home, but it's the, the day where you go and you pick up this little jar of dirt. You know what I'm talking about? It's in like the plastic cup or styrofoam cup, and, and you're picking it up and you're going, what am I supposed to do with this tiny little cup of dirt? Wait, 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 Dad, that's not just dirt, right? That's a plant. See, we planted beans and we've been watering it and we've been putting it in the sunlight, and now we have to take it home. Thank you, teachers, for the extra chore. There is enough dirt on my kitchen counter. I don't need a jar of it, but now we have a chore to do to keep it away because you can't throw it away, right? Because this is my project, this is my plant, this is what we've been growing. And I don't know how many of you had this experience, right? But where all of a sudden, one morning, way too early, you hear the blood-curdling scream from the kitchen, Mom, Dad, look! What happened, right? Finally, that little jar of dirt sprouted up into a tiny green stalk. The science experiment, not yet complete, but at least has been successful. And then come the questions. I don't know if you got the questions, right? Why did this happen, right? How does a plant grow? Yesterday there was just dirt and now there's a plant there. How did it happen? Why does water and soil and and sunlight and all those things grow a plant? How do our children go from babbling incoherently one moment to arguing with us about what actually is a bite of vegetables in the next sentence, right? How does these things go overnight from what was just dirt to now is something that is growing and alive. And since we're in church this morning, how do we grow spiritually? How does something that was once not a part of our life reintegrate or re-become a bigger part of our life? How do we grow from a faith perspective spiritually as we're talking? So we're in week three of our vision, vision series, Shine. We've been talking about those core values that we say every single week as we invite people to belong here. And so the first week you may remember that we talked about this idea that we exist to shine as a church, but also as individuals who are in God's kingdom. And we had some responsive painting time where we got to put little stars in the sky and to say like Philippians 2 that we will shine like stars in the darkness. And then last week we talked about our first core value which is this idea of belonging, having a place to belong and creating a family environment there. And so we put our fingerprints up on the painting and we're able to celebrate that way as we talked about what it means to be a part of a family and a faith-based culture. Part of a church, absolutely. Part of the family of God, completely. But even more than that, having just a simple place where we can belong with friends and with people who know us on a weekly basis. 
Now this week we're talking about the third thing that we say every week. We're talking about how we here at the Porch Church cultivate this idea of growth. How do we grow in our faith? And unfortunately our painting isn't interactive today, but you still can watch the lovely Miss April over here as she adds to our picture. We've got one more week left and we're hopefully going to tie it all together there. But we're talking about what does it look like to grow? Much like a plant grows overnight, how do we find this to be a place where people of all walks of life at all different levels of their belief and trust in God, find a space to be able to grow, to be able to foster and nourish the seed that's planted. So how do we grow, both ourselves and the people around us? What does that look like? Well, the great spiritual sage, Lou Holtz, has this to say. None of you got that joke? College football? It's okay. In this world, you're either growing or you're dying, so get in motion and grow. Lou Holtz is a college football course if you, or a coach if you missed the joke there. Perhaps a more, uh, more scholarly quote. You're either growing or you're dying. Stagnation does not exist in the universe. There is no staying the same. There is no maintaining. That's true physically. It's true in relationships. It's true mentally. And yes, it's absolutely true spiritually. We're either at stages in our life where we're sowing into, where we're watering and being planted and being fed and where we're growing, whether it's relationships with the people that we talk to or don't talk to, whether it's just mentally and the things that keep us sharp throughout the week. And it's absolutely true spiritually. We don't just get to maintain in our relationship with God. We don't just get to Stay, to stay the same, to be the status quo, we're either growing or we're letting a piece of our relationship falter. We're letting our beliefs die. We're letting the plant slowly wither and fade away. It applies in every area across our life. And so last week we talked about this idea of celebration. Remember we looked at Luke 15 and we talked about the lost coin, the lost sheep, and then the lost son and how at the end of each story is a celebration, is a party. And one of the things that I think we do great as far as churches across the nation are concerned is we do great celebrating when people get to salvation, when they meet Christ, when they have that initial kind of birth, when the the little green stalk pushes up through the dirt. We're really good at catching that. We're really good at celebrating it, right? If you look in your bulletin, there's a little checkbox that you could participate in that, or, or even we do baptism to celebrate, right? These things that were not alive and yet are now alive in Christ. There's only one small problem with this, with this idea, and that's that it's such a small piece of what faith looks like. See, I think too often when we look at faith, when we look at growing faith and all of those things, we really just focus in on that one area. It's like faith is a moment in time. Like it's punctiliar. Like it's just that one time in church. Like it's just that one time that Jesus did something amazing. Faith is something that's relegated to a dot on a map. And instead, I would like to challenge us as we talk about this idea of growing in faith to see faith on a continuum like a number line, raging with experiences all the way from negative 10 all the way up through positive 10. And when we talk about growing in faith, are we talking about salvation? Are we talking about baptism? Absolutely we are. And if we put that on that number line, it would just be a tiny little highlighted area from like zero to one. Is that worth celebrating? Absolutely it's worth celebrating. I just wonder how good of a job we do or could do at celebrating the conversations in our lives that move people from a negative 10 on the faith scale, a negative 10 in their relationship with Jesus, and maybe just move them one step closer. This looks like a conversation with an atheist who is totally closed to the things of God, but they like you. 
Guess what we can celebrate? There's somebody moving from a negative 10 to a negative 9. It's the same distance as a 0 to a 1. We just don't do a good job celebrating it. We don't do a good job telling those stories and remarking on how God is at work. Similarly, once we kind of get saved and get baptized, we kind of have this idea, well, we must be, must be done, right? We're there. We are now a growing and mature Christian, except that's not the case, right? We have so much more growth and so many more things to press into, and we can't just stop the journey short. We can't just celebrate one piece of our faith, one piece of what God is doing. So as we talk about growth in faith, I just want to make sure that everybody knows that this applies across the board. It applies to you if you're here this morning. It applies to the relationships that you cultivate outside of here. If faith is a piece of us, if faith is a piece of the world that we live in, these un defined places, everybody is on the scale somewhere. And what does it look like for us to shine the light and to grow people's faith across this continuum in our own lives and in the lives of the people around us? So with that being said, how do we grow? How do we grow spiritually? What does that look like? And I'm grateful to say that that question is way above my pay grade. Um, I have no clue how that happens. God does that work, but he does give us some clues. And so we're going to open our Bible to Matthew chapter 13. If you brought a Bible today, I'd encourage you to open it. Matthew chapter 13. If you didn't, we'd love to let you borrow one of our Bibles. You can just slip your hands up. Our ushers are walking around with them. Matthew chapter 13. Uh, It's on page 461 if you're using one of these Bibles. 461. One. And we're just going to spend some time here looking at a particular story that Jesus tells, and uh, we're going to unpack it together there as well. If you're online, there's a Bible tab right underneath the chat window, and I know the Broncos are playing like now. So I'm assuming church is on, and then you're going to switch the channel, um, and uh, that's what I think is going on. At least that keeps me happy. Here we go. Matthew chapter 13, page 461, starting uh, at verse 1 there. This is a story that Jesus uses. He kind of goes through a, a gardening phase in this chapter, and And everything has to do with some of these planting metaphors. So we're going to dive into this particular story that he tells here. Verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and he sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, which again are earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. He told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering seeds, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears... Let them hear. Isn't that so much clearer to you now? Doesn't it just make sense? Remember when you were driving to church and you saw that farmer scattering seed and you thought, oh, that's just like the gospel, right? Um, If this isn't clear to you, you need to read your Bible more. No, I'm just kidding. If it's not clear to you, you're in good company, right? This is not quite contextual for us. We don't quite understand it. As a matter of fact, you're in such good company that the disciples who were with Jesus, they walked with him for three years. They grew up in the same culture, the same set of values, the same teaching. Mark chapter 4 says they go up to Jesus after he tells the story and goes, um, what are you talking about, Jesus? 
We don't get it. Can you explain the parable to us? And so Jesus has a couple of stories like this where he actually tells us the meaning. And so we get to dive into not just what I happen to think, because who really cares about that. We get to actually hear what Jesus has to say about what he means with this parable, with this earthly story. So we're going to dive into Jesus' answer, see what he identifies. The first thing uh, is actually not found in this account in Matthew. It's found in Mark's account where he simply identifies that the farmer sows the word. Right? This is the seed that's being scattered. It's the word. It's the gospel. If we look at John chapter 1, we know that Jesus is the word. He's the incarnate word. And so what we're talking about is sowing the seed of the gospel, letting that germinate, throwing it out into the places where God would have it, into the soil. So spiritual growth starts fundamentally with a knowledge of God. We talk about growing in our faith when we talk about this idea that there's growth to be had. Growth only happens fundamentally through the Word of God, necessarily through Jesus, through the gospel. Everything starts there. The Bible maintains that, again, Jesus is the Word incarnate, and so all spiritual growth has to filter in through this, through a knowledge of God, through the knowledge of God's Word, and visibly through the person of Jesus. And just a quick aside, while we're not saying that Christianity is the only faith in the world, we are saying that if we're going to look at it through our unique perspective and through the lens that Jesus gives us, then we must recognize that in this story and in every story that Jesus tells, that it starts with a knowledge of who God is, the God revealed by the Christian scriptures. This isn't just some spiritual answer that's applicable universally, it's that it starts with a knowledge of God and a growth therein. And from there, he kind of gets more specific as he walks through each example of what happens when the Word of God, when Jesus is spread across to various people, to various types of soil. Let's look in Matthew chapter 13, verse 18, skipping down just a few. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed that was sown along the path. The first obstacle to spiritual growth, the first thing that gets in the way, the first thing that hinders the knowledge of God taking root in our lives so we can grow spiritually is hard soil. Hard places, places where the gospel message doesn't sink in. People who are closed off, right? Again, if we're talking about Jesus, these are the people, the relationships in your life who don't want to hear Jesus' name mentioned except as a curse word. Anytime spirituality comes up, anytime anything that can't be empirically proven with scientific data comes up, they're closed off, not listening. They're not open to hear Jesus' name. They're not open to hearing what God is doing. Now, in case it isn't obvious, the soil in these parables are the human heart. It's the human condition. And so as the gospel, as the seed is scattered by the farmer across the plains, each individual heart represents an individual piece of the story. So there are hard-hearted individuals, places where the soil is Hard. And Jesus says that the birds, he specifically says the evil one comes and snatches it away. He keeps it from sitting there, keeps it from growing. He steals it away. So how do we know if we're working with hard soil? How do we know if either in yourself or maybe in the people that you walk with, how can you identify whether or not there's hard soil? I would simply just ask this question. Is your heart or is their heart open to the working of God? If religion and faith is something that we don't talk about, it's not appropriate at the dinner table, you might be dealing with a hard heart. 
If you don't care about spiritual things, if it just doesn't interest you, if you would say the statement that, you know what, religion and faith and, and spirituality are good for some people, it's just not for me. If you come to church for the sake of your spouse, you might be dealing with hard soil. If you come in contact with people, friends, coworkers, other people who would say the same thing, you know, that's great for you, it just isn't for me. You're talking about hard soil. Their heart is closed off to the idea of the truth of God's word or anything that would be spread that way. Now, the result of hard soil is that faith dies there. Hard soil is really a death sentence for faith. Faith can't grow, it can't plant itself, it can't be nourished, it's simply stolen away. And so whenever you come across somebody who's hard-hearted, whether, again, if you're looking in the mirror at yourself or somebody close to you or even just somebody who's at a distance from you, in my life at least, they immediately go on my prayer list. Because if we're talking about that number line, right, this is somebody who is under like a negative five towards the gospel. They're so closed off that they're not even willing to entertain the idea. They don't want to hear anything about it. And the only thing to do with hard soil is to begin to churn it, is to begin to work the soil, to begin to soften it up. And the only way to do that is through prayer and through constant conversation and through a working of God's spirit and through a working of God in their hearts. If we want faith to grow and you find yourself in that continuum, prayer is really the answer and it's the answer for other people in your life too. So the first obstacle is a hard heart, closed off to the gospel. Nothing grows there because the seed doesn't even make it into the ground. Let's keep seeing what Jesus has to say about the parable, verse 20. It says, The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Rocky soil represents a heart that isn't uh, isn't clear to receive the gospel. There are things in the way. They begin well, they step into faith, they accept Jesus, they go from zero to one on our little timeline, but there's no root in the worries of this world. The, the rocks get in the way. Rocks are the hard stories that we hear at church, right? They're the people who come in and have a fresh start and they're recommitting to their faith, but they don't remove the things that will hinder their growth. Instead, they just kind of leave it in place. And rocky soil are lives where our problems are larger than our faith. Our faith hasn't yet grown to remove those obstacles. Rocks can be hard stories, hard things that hurt us, past relationships, past fears, past things from the religion. These are rocks, things that get in the way of growth. Now, I don't know if any of you grew up in a rural setting. Uh, we spent four years in Mitchell, South Dakota, uh, home of the world's only corn palace and some really great people. Um, and beyond that, though, there's a lot of fields. There's a lot of just planting. And so I, I never forget, we were on our way to a friend's house, and we were driving through the countryside, and in the corner of the pastures, in the corner of specifically the wheat and cornfields, there's just mountains of rocks, piles of rocks. Not quite that big, but here's how, here's how common this is. I actually couldn't find a picture on Google. And what that tells me is not that it doesn't exist. It tells me that it's so common that nobody would even think to take a picture of it. But I'm a city boy, and so I asked, to my farmer friends what gives with a giant pile of rocks. And the story to them makes absolutely clear sense, but it didn't to me. They said, well, as we're plowing, sometimes the soil has rocks in it. 
And we know that if we leave the rocks there, that it will damage our equipment and that the plants won't be able to grow. And so as we're plowing the field, we pick up the rocks and rather than taking them back to a rock garden, farmers aren't big on rock gardens, they just throw it in the corner of the field, right, where the plow can't get to anyway. And so consequently, over time, over generations of farmers, what you have is in the corner of a field, you have a rock pile. You have all of these hindrances, all of these things that were stopping growth that would get in the way of things growing properly, that would damage the plow and cause harm to the farmer, and they removed the rocks from the soil so that the plants would have a clear space to grow. The rock piles are a visual reminder of the work that the farmer goes through to ensure that his crops grow safely. When our faith is young or just taking root, rocks can hinder or even kill the growth of our faith. And it takes someone to remove the rocks in our lives so that we can continue to grow spiritually. And rocks can really be anything, again, that hinders your faith, that stops it from growing. Rocks can be time. Rocks can be money. Rocks can be drugs or abuse or lust or idolatry. Fill in the blank. But whatever is stopping your faith from growing, whatever is not in tune with the work of God's word in your life is a rock. And you may not think it's that big of a deal, but it will stop the growth that happens in your life because it will erode the soil around it. Some of those rocks in people's lives are big rocks, like how we grew up or how our parents raised us or what we learned to believe about the world and about the Bible and about faith around us. And I'd venture to say, though, that if you've been a Christ follower for any length of time, it's because you've got a rock pile somewhere. It's because you've taken the work to put your faith and not hide it from the hard things of life, not hide it from the big questions and big story, but you've put your faith face to face with what the world tells you about what we believe, about what scripture says, about your experiences, and you've done the hard work of tilling that soil. And if we sat down and had a conversation over coffee and we talked about your faith and the obstacles that you'd overcome, I bet we'd name a bunch of rocks, a bunch of hard stories, a bunch of difficulties and obstacles that your faith has overcome. Because again, rocky soil is where our faith hasn't grown bigger than the rocks. But if you've been following Christ for any length of time, it's because you've got a rock pile somewhere with little rocks and with big rocks, and the rocks get bigger over time as we walk through with Jesus. In the Old Testament, there's actually a word for this. You may remember some of these obscure stories where God says, hey, I want you to build a standing monument. I want you to put a pile of rocks together to tell the story of how I've come through for you. I want you to build a rock pile. The word that they use is something fancy called an Ebenezer. Maybe you remember the song Amazing Grace where it says, Here I raise my Ebenezer, and by thy great help I've come. He's talking about rocks in the soil, things that hinder our growth. And if you've been following Christ for any length of time, it's because you have a rock pile. So here's just a question for reflection. What's in your rock pile? Because those are stories that God wants you to champion and to tell about how he's brought you through by his grace and by his help. What is in your Ebenezer? Second question would be, what isn't in your Ebenezer? What's not yet in your rock pile, but you know that God wants to work on in your life? What's a piece, what's a rock that's in the way right now? And God's saying, that's got to get out of the soil so you can grow, and it's got to be put in the rock pile. Because if you don't deal with the rocks, they will kill your faith. So the first obstacle, hard soil, right? The seed's not even getting in. Second obstacle, it grows up, but it doesn't deal with the hard things of our faith. It doesn't have those conversations well, and consequently, the seed withers. 
Third obstacle is thorns, weeds, things that steal away from the fullness of life that God has for us. We're in verse 22. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. So here again, we see that the word takes root in their life, and these ones are actually growing. They're not just shallow soil. They've removed the rocks, but the problem is that they let other things grow alongside their faith in Christ. And those other things that grow end up choking the nutrients out. They end up stopping it from growing. They steal the sunlight. They steal the nutrients in the soil. They take up all of the water. And because of that, it doesn't say that it stops growing. It says it's just unfruitful. It doesn't reach its full potential. What's good about an unfruitful plant? Nothing. There's absolutely nothing beneficial about an unfruitful plant plant. What does unfruitfulness look like in terms of our spiritual growth? Well, if a healthy plant produces fruit, then in our spirits we ought to be producing the fruit of the gospel as well. We talked about this in our Galatians series. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit of God's spirit. This is the result of spiritual growth in our lives. But when thorns grow alongside, they, they choke it out. They hinder it from growing. And the sustenance goes to the other areas of our life and not to ourselves. What's growing in your life right alongside your faith in Jesus. Could be a habit, could be a hobby. It could be family or your job, it could be a spouse, it could be all of these things that go along. Some of them are bad. Some of them aren't bad. They're just growing right alongside Jesus. See, fundamentally this is about priority. This is about what gets the attention, what gets the nutrients in our lives, right? So here's a picture of my garden. Uh, I am uh, I'm a gardener as you can tell. And uh, what's funny about that? I planted beans, I planted carrots, uh, I planted all kinds of stuff. They're mostly in that front section there. And, uh, but you can see all the beautiful growth that I've gotten right alongside that, right? Here's my question. Am I growing a garden or am I growing thorns? Those are weeds, by the way, right? If you're not a gardener. Ain't no cultivating going on there. There's nothing growing there. Or rather, there is something growing, and it's growing right alongside maybe what I intended to plant. It's just running wild. At some point, you have to ask yourself if you're growing a garden or if you're growing thorns, because listen, life is full of good and beautiful and wonderful things. But if we believe, if you believe, as I believe, what the Bible teaches, that Jesus is the best thing then what are you growing alongside of Jesus? Because listen, you are fundamentally a soul. You are fundamentally a spirit and you were created to live forever with God. That's the most basic principle about what a spiritual life is, what spiritual growth looks like. And the question is, is are you growing a soul or are you growing a life? Because life is temporary. Your spirit is, God's Spirit working within you is forever. And he promises to take care of those things. I'm sure you've heard this verse, Matthew 6, verse 33. But seek first priority, thorns, we're talking about priority. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. What are you cultivating in your life that is more important, that has a higher place than Jesus? 
Because no matter how good it is, no matter how great it is, no matter how wonderful and beautiful it is, it will eventually choke out your faith. Whatever's a bigger deal to you than Jesus in your life is eventually going to turn into a thorn. And sometimes I think we think too small about this, right? Rather than thinking about the little bush that's in that little plastic cup that we talked about, I want you to, to picture a giant tree. I want you to picture just a massive, majestic tree. This is what a life fully lived for Jesus grows and blooms into, that God is growing something greater into you. What's a healthy tree provide? It provides fruit or nuts or seeds. It feeds the birds and the birds in turn build their nest in it. It fosters a community of insects and all kinds of wonderful life grow because of where this tree is planted. When healthy things grow and achieve their potential, the result is more, not less. See, too often when we have this conversation, we're offended that I would put things like family and kids and jobs in contention with Jesus, right? That's unfair because we have to have our family and we have to have our work and we have to do those things. And that's not fair to put Jesus in that mix. Like, of course I love Jesus, but this is my life. This is my family. I have responsibilities to take care of. I absolutely agree with you. Sorry if that was unfair. But, but let me remind you that if you put your priority on all of those things, Eventually, it steals the nutrients, the water, the sun, the growth that's intended for your faith. Controversially, if we listen to what Scripture says, if we follow the example of Jesus, what he says is instead sow into your faith, instead grow that area of your life, and it's going to turn into something that provides shelter and structure and nutrients for everything else in your life. For your family, your friends, your work, all of those places flourish, not when they're equally planted with Jesus, but when Jesus is the first and they grow underneath of his banner of his protection and provision for you. Thorns are about priority. And when we put things right alongside Jesus, what it does is it ends up cannibalizing our faith. And it's how we wind up with stories some 10, 15, 20 years later going, I tried everything I could with my job, I tried everything I could with my family, I tried everything I could with my children, and now I'm just drained. Now I'm just empty. It's because we fed the wrong thing. Our faith is what is the most important piece about us, and if nurtured and tended properly, it will take care of, God will take care of, Jesus will provide for every other area. Because trees are built to endure. Trees sustain life. They shelter us in times of need. Trees weather the storms of life. Trees aren't worried about rocks and trees have outgrown thorns. Trees provide safety and stability. What's ahead of Jesus in your life? No matter how good it is, no matter how well-intentioned, no matter how beautiful and wonderful it is, it will compete, it will vie for attention, and it will rob resources of what God wants to do in your life. I, I was reading this, this parable, preparing for it, and you know that sometimes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all tell the same stories, and so I was trying to identify those key elements of the story, right? The seed is the word of God, and I was looking for this quintessential verse, right, that was like, and the farmer is God, right? We all think that that's who the farmer is in this story, right? God is the one who goes out and scatters the seed. He sows the gospel, the word of God, and I wanted to kind of start there, but I couldn't find that verse, and it's not in there, I mean, unless y'all are better readers than I am, which is possible. Um, but as I was going through there, I started going, okay, so why not clearly identify? What's the role of the farmer? 
What's the role of the, of the person in your life who's scattering the seed, who's planting God's word? It could absolutely be God. God could be the one sowing the seeds in that story. I think the story is completely open to that interpretation. I just wonder if there's another way to look at it. Think about a farmer, right, who sows his seed, all right? What does a farmer do to the hard soil? It tills it up, right? It makes it soft. What's a farmer do when there are rocks in the way? The farmer removes the rocks. A farmer has thorns, right? It sprays weed killer, right? It kills all the thorns, makes sure that it can grow. But, but there's something interesting, right? If we said our hearts are the soil and the seed is the word of God, seeds don't remove rocks, Right? A seed doesn't take care of thorns, nor does the ground take care of itself in that way. The soil doesn't try harder and all the rocks come out of it. The soil doesn't tell thorns, no, you can't grow there. The soil, our hearts, need a farmer, need somebody to come alongside of us to sow God's word into us, to help us identify the hard areas and soften them, to remove the rocks and to take away the thorns. We can't do that by ourselves, and we can't simply trust that by reading our Bible more, all of those things will magically happen. That will help, I promise, but bottom line is, we all need a farmer. Who in your life is the one who makes the hard soil become soft? Who works it, puts in a little elbow grease? Who takes out the rocks of your life, identifies it, and says, hey, that's a problem and we need to take care of it? Who takes care of the thorns, the things that grow up alongside of Jesus and says, hey, I know you think that's good, but it's out of priority. It's out of sync in your life because we can't do it by ourselves, right? The seed and the soil don't solve this problem. Somebody on the outside does. So who is the farmer? I think that's a fantastic question for us to answer individually. Who's the person in your life who does those things? And if your answer is looking right back up me here on the stage, I have some bad news for you. There's no possible way that I can do that for everyone in this room. I'm not that good, and you all know that, right? I simply cannot do it. So we need to have people in our lives who are sowing the Word of God into our lives, who are helping us with the hard spots, who are taking out the rocks, who are removing the thorns, and that comes through people. It comes through community. See, fundamentally, spiritual growth starts with the knowledge of God, absolutely, but the way in which growth is fostered it's through people, it's through community, it's through the working of God around us. It's why we show up on Sunday morning, at least I hope it's a part of why we show up on Sunday morning, because it's not to just be by ourselves and to listen to some guy speak with a microphone. I hope it's because we find community and belonging and a sense of purpose there, because it's in these interpersonal relationships that people come alongside us and help us do this thing called spiritual growth. It's natural and it happens that way, but it has to start with a people and with a community around us. It takes a community to nurture and foster spiritual growth. This is why when it comes to discipleship and when it comes to this idea of growing our faith, we focus in on small groups. We call them life groups because that's where life happens. Because on Sunday morning, we're all facing the wrong direction and we're all just listening to one guy up here blabbing his mouth, which hopefully is good for you, but I would rather see us in a circle having a conversation about faith and life and where God comes in, and I would rather have somebody in my life go, I think that's a rock, Will, and I think we need to talk about removing it. I, th I think that your priorities are slightly off base. I'd rather have a life in a community where we can have those types of conversations because we need people around us. And the first way that we already identified is to help it grow, but secondarily, let's look at how Jesus finishes the parable, verse 23. 
But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Listen, healthy soil multiplies plants. Healthy soil grows healthy plants, and healthy plants multiply. It's hard to grow 30, 60, or 100-fold when it's just you sitting alone in a chair on Sunday morning. Because healthy things reproduce. Healthy Christians, spiritually mature Christians reproduce, and I don't just mean children. Ask your parents. I mean that spiritual growth happens in community. We need people to help us grow. And once we're there, once we're healthy, then God multiplies the working of His Spirit on our lives. And one healthy Christian, one spiritually mature follower of Jesus who has people helping them in all of these areas can produce 30, 60, 100 fold of what God puts in to us. This is the picture of spiritual growth. And the message of today is not work harder, get rid of the rocks, work harder, get rid of the thorns. It's come into a place where you can ask for help, where you can ask for people to come alongside there because growth happens in terms of a community, in terms of people. And we all need people in our lives to help us with that. So we're going to close with one more song. I'm going to invite the band to come up. And I just want us to maybe think about that a little bit. How healthy are you spiritually? How much is your life focused in on being able to grow? Do you have some priorities out of sync? Do you have some rocks that need removed? Do you have some hard spots? I'm not going to tell you that to be a part of the porch community, you have to be in a small group. I think that's silly. But I think that if you're at the porch for any length of time, eventually you will need a small group of people around you to help foster growth. And I hope and I pray that when you're ready and when the time is right, that you will step into those communities, that we'll stop trying to grow ourselves just by trying harder and we'll instead rely on a community and on a body of believers around us. We just started small groups two weeks ago. It's not too late to jump in. There are two sign-up sheets out there. If you've looked at the times and they just don't work for your family, write me a note in the bulletin. If 10 of you say, none of those times work for us, but we all have Thursday free, guess what? We'll start a small group on Thursdays. Whatever you need to be able to step into a community, let us know. Because spiritual growth happens in those small groups. That's what we're about here at The Porch because, again, we exist to shine. We do that by inviting people to belong and giving them places that foster and grow their faith. And none of that can be done alone. Would you pray with me as we prepare just one more song to sing? I just want to give you a quiet moment to talk to God. Maybe something grabbed your attention. Maybe there was a piece of that story that you were like, that is me, and I just know it. And you just need to do the, the hard work of going to God and of asking for him to be the farmer maybe and to remove those pieces. Maybe it's a resistance. Maybe it's a, a habit. Maybe it's a sin. Maybe it's something that you just need to go to God in this moment and to say, I know what you're talking about. I hear you. And to respond in faith. Maybe you need to have a conversation over lunch with a, with a spouse or, or, or with your family and just talk about priorities and the role that God has in your life. Maybe you need to spend some time quietly with God, evaluating the places where he has you and what he's calling you to be. Whatever it is, I just encourage you to take that moment. Write it down. 
Keep it on the forefront of your mind as you go throughout this week. And heaven forbid, talk to someone about it. Talk to somebody that loves you, that wants to see you grow, that wants the best for you. And have an honest conversation about faith and spiritual growth in the places where God has you. Heavenly Father, we are mindful that there is no staying the same. God, we're either growing or we're dying. And so, God, by your grace and by our own admission, God, we need you to grow us. As it says in Scripture that that one waters and another one plants, but it's God who makes it grow. And so, God, would you do the miracle of growth as we do what you've asked us to do, to be in community and to provide spaces for those conversations. God, would we as a church major in these conversations, would we foster spiritual growth in everything that we do? May our conversations be seasoned with salt of the gospel as we have everything in front of us, pointed at and preparing not just a good way to live, but the best way to live focused on Jesus. Heavenly Father, help us to do this by your power and by your spirit. And all God's kids said, amen. my wrestling and in my doubts in my failures you won't walk out your great love will lead me through you are the peace in my troubled sea whoa you are the peace in my troubled sea in the silence you won't let go questions your truth will hold your great love will lead me through you are the peace in my troubled sea whoa you are the peace in my troubled sea